You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. Hello, baseball family. Matthew here again with another episode of the British Baseball Podcast, and I'm fined by two extremely distinguished gentlemen uh, that's out in their blue Great Britain hoodies and caps. It's Mr. Drew Spencer and Mr. Jonathan Kremen. Evening, gentlemen. How's tricks? Great. Matt, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, really, really good. Excellent. Yep. JC, how are Very you? Very good, mate. Very good, mate. Very excited to be on here with you. Excellent, excellent. It's been a while since we've uh, we've had a, a chinwag online. We've had lots of off off air conversations and chat. So, uh, thanks again for agreeing to come on and talk us through the fantastic WBC qualification that, that's just taken place. So, uh, let, let's kick this off. We've got quite a few questions to go through. Um, so, how hard was it to try and put this squad together? There's quite a lot of new additions to the roster. Um, do you want to talk us through that process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I tell you what, like, I'd love to, I've got a, a perspective on this, but, you know, John was part of the the staff that, you know, spent countless hours on this. So I definitely would love John to share a little bit of his perspective here as well. But I mean, from my perspective, it was, it's the biggest challenge I've ever faced. I think it's the biggest, you know, biggest challenge we've ever faced as a group. Um, I think because, you know, we knew a couple of things. One, there was a very, very good team put together for the previous qualifier which never happened. Um, and there was a lot of buzz and excitement around that team. So, you know, certainly a big part of this was, was being able to put together a team that could live up to the expectations of that team and deliver the kind of result. A lot of people believed that that team was capable of. And I think then you add to the fact that in the, in the previous qualifier in 2016, we were one game away. Um, so, you know, I think that there's this pressure to make sure that, the next team up continues the trend in the right direction and that we don't go backwards um, and that we make, you know, make full advantage of the opportunity that we had. Um, so, you know, there was a, there was a lot of pressure on us, um, but fortunately, you know, we, we had a, a really, really good, very dedicated team looking kind of every aspect of what we would need to compete. And, you know, John, I think it'd be great for you to just share a little bit about that from your end. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a deep and varied effort. I think, um, First of all, we're fortunate with our with our coaching staff to have, to have people like Brad Mossolino and Connor Brooks and Zach Rastar who are in, you know, in organizations or involved with Major League Baseball. Um, and that allows us to to maybe expedite some conversations and and really get down to the nitty-gritty of things very early with some players. Um, you know, there's there's for all the hard work that we did, there is a luck-based element. Um, Brad becomes the Mariners AAA hitting coach and they happen to draft the kid in the first round whose parents were born in South London and him and Brad talk and he comes out and is the best player of the tournament. Um, so for all, I think we did a great job. There's always an element of, of luck about this stuff. Um, and then it was just about trying to make sure that we covered every base. We knew that the Bahamian players or some of the Bahamian players would be, would be eligible. So we uh, we got Albert Cartwright in very early. Drew did a really good job there of making sure we had that link with AC. And AC really gave us some really invaluable information. And then just hard work, you know, searching birthplaces and, and hours and hours and hours spent on baseball reference. Um, and we managed to put together, I think, a, a, a pretty special bunch. 
Yeah, there's some fantastic players. I mean, uh, I think a lot of us became Harry Ford fans uh, overnight. Just it, it was an absolute dream to watch. Uh, I can only imagine what it was like seeing him live in person. But uh, yeah, we edge of the seat stuff from from back at home. Um, who were you like most excited to see um, in the squad once you found out they were available or eligible? That's a tough one. I mean, you have some known quantities, right? You know, so we'd seen Aaron Singh. You know, mm-hmm. we'd seen Shamoy Christopher. You know, we'd, we've seen a Michael Roth, you know, or a Dan Cooper. Um, but I have to say, even with those guys, you know, there's this added element of what are they going to bring to this party? Because the WBC qualifier is a level above every other tournament we'd played in, you know. So, you know, it was exciting. I was as excited to see, you know, Coop show up, having put in the work he needed to put in to be a part of this team as I was to see Donovan Benoit or Anthony Seymour or Michael Peterson, you know, you're, you're excited to see each of them for very different reasons. And you know, I'm sorry. I know that's a very head coach answer, um, you know, to not, to not single anyone out, but, um, but, you know, genuinely was, you know, like, will Kennard Dawson find another level? Like he did yeah. the last two times he suited up for us, you know, um, you know, so yeah, you, you wanted to see a Harry Ford, you wanted to see a, you know, a Michael Peterson or a, or a Tanaj Thomas, you know, Chavez Fernander, like those, you know, those names that you've read about and who are at those, those higher profile spots in the game right now. But you also, you also want to see what some of your tried and true veterans are going to pull out of the bag when they show up to camp. Yeah. Yeah. True. When you got all the, the proof names together, um, how hard was it and um, what were the biggest challenges and hardest decisions, I should say, when it came to actually putting your, your final roster together? Cool. I mean, you know, again, like, uh, you know, John, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this too because um, I think we all played a role in, in thinking about how to get – so you start with a 50-man interest list and then you get down to a 35-man list and then from the 35, you got to pick your final 28. So we had to do this a lot. And, and actually, sometimes you have to revert back to the 35 man because this person now can't come or this person's team's in the playoffs. So we did that funneling process a lot. I think some of the hardest decisions are when you have three viable candidates for one spot. Yeah. You know, when you're, you know, you're looking at, you know, a, a pitching staff and you're going, God, you know, Fred Mosier, that guy showed up in under 23s and seniors in some of the tightest and most difficult spots and proved himself to be an incredibly reliable asset. You know, Chris Messer, you know, pitched, you know, through some of the most important pitches for us in 2019. You know, you're looking at, you're looking at guys like that and, and, and you're really beating yourself up and going, you know, how do we end up in a world where, you know, guys like that aren't going to get the call. Um, so, you know, some of the toughest decisions, personally, I'd have to say we're more on the pitching side um, because we had a lot of really, really great talent available to us and some unknown quantities and some really known, some names and some some big, important names who've been there in big, important moments. That, and it went right down to the wire. Yeah, I think um, we, we, and Skip could probably talk on this more, but we made a commitment early in the process to to try and put the best team possible on the field and give us the best chance of winning. Um, and it meant that we had to have some difficult conversations and make some difficult decisions. But I think, you know, feel a little bit vindicated now that we removed a little bit of emotion from that 
situation because, you know, we played such great baseball. And I say that intentionally. It wasn't necessarily that we won three games and we qualified, but just the way we played and the, the level that we played to means that whilst some, some really good guys missed out, um, you know, very comfortable with that. And I think, you know, I say this to Drew a lot when we're having our phone calls, good problems to have. Um, and that's exactly what it was. It was it was very tough, but it was good problems to have. Yeah, yeah. The, the squad that you assembled on paper, it's, it's been said on many better podcasts than this. Uh, how strong it's been! It's one of the, the 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 finest rosters that's been assembled on paper for a long time. So it must have been an absolute joy to to have. But again, I, I wouldn't like to have made some of those difficult decisions. No, you're not wrong. I mean, it's interesting. We both watch. Uh, I forget the name of the the Netflix series. But uh, it was a, I think it's the the coach's playlist or something like that. But um, it was a really great line that came out of that the other day from Doc Rivers, which is pressure is a privilege. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and that was 100% applied to in-game moments. But I rewatched that the other day, and that was one of those ones that there were some really, really high-pressure decisions about who would make this team and who would make the lineup. And you do have to look at that and go, it's it's a privilege to have that pressure to be in that situation. Indeed. So what was what it like then when you finally got all the group together? What, what were the first few days like? Because you had a bit of time to prepare when you got into Germany. Um, well, it's 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 a slow process because people are flying in at different times. So sure, we were in, you know, Mainz um, with, with a kind of pre-tournament camp and guys are flying in. The affiliated players are not allowed on the field. So they fly in a bit later because there's an official report date that's issued by the tournament. But but what's nice about it is is you get the first opportunity to to put the group of men together and see how they interact and what they're like as people. You know you know the skills. I mean, by and large, numbers don't lie. By and large, right? Like they, you know, so you you, you know who's a good hitter. You know who's a good defender. You know who's a, a good pitcher. What you don't know is the makeup of the individual. You know what are they going to be like as a teammate? What are they going to be like under pressure? And and so a lot of a lot of camp is about piecing that together and understanding that. And I have to say, like my experience this time around is like every time somebody new arrived and got a chance to do what they do, whether it was take batting practice or throw a bullpen, my excitement levels just shot up. It was like, you know, I mean, you know, guys, we as a staff were going, we have a very good baseball team before we'd seen any of them in person. But then as they showed up, it was that validation. Yeah, this this is this is a very talented group of individuals. You know, what what we saw on video or on baseball reference is playing in real life in front of us. This guy's gonna get people out. That guy's gonna give pitchers problems. Nobody's gonna no ball's gonna land in our outfield. You know, it's just it was just you start watching, you start you just getting more and more excited and just like ready anticipating what they're gonna be like when the umpire says play ball. Yeah, I think um, especially the first few days, like Skip says, we've done this. We've done this for a few years now, and whenever you bring a new team together, there's always a new energy. Um, and the big thing that stood out for me on day one, and I'm sure Drew would agree, was very interesting seeing a guy like Anthony Seymour two hours into his first GB practice, kind of taking a leadership role and and having fun and and being himself and bringing very much his energy and anyone who knows him will know exactly what I mean. It's an amazing energy to be around. And then seeing a guy like Dan Cooper and, and guys like Mike Roth kind of grab hold of the younger guys on the pitching staff and really start to develop that bond. It, it happened so early with this team. And I think for me, it, it 
relaxed me a little bit and it was a really good portland for, for what was to come speaking of which um how well do you remember the tournament <laughs> i rewatched it four times yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because uh, me and drew were talking a bit just before you arrived jc about uh uh just just seeing how well you remember it, we're going to do two truths and a lie. All right, let's do it. So we're on. going to give you a bit of information from the tournament and see if you can work out what's a lie and which are, right. uh, which are facts. All right, let's have it. <laughs> He's completely the wrong guy to play this game with, by the way. How come? Because Kramen can tell you the third pitch that was thrown to him in his second at bat of a game when he was 16. Right, moving swiftly on. Let's have a look at the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I was a... with a decent memory, Matt. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll borrow some of that then, please, if you can. It'd be a joy <laughs> to have everything written down on post-it notes every time you wanted to ask a question. <laughs> it's always one thing that amazes me about, about baseball players. You can ask them about anything like that, and they just, can just reel it off. It is, it is amazing. You're like robots. I should have picked this one. I was always, I've, I've always been jealous of the guys who couldn't remember a thing. Um, we had Richard Klein come and see us a couple of times in Germany, an old teammate yeah. of mine. I used to be so jealous of Richard because he couldn't remember anything. Couldn't remember what happened in his last at-bat, what town we were in, what the pitcher's name was, anything. And it meant that he played with complete freedom. I, I wish I could have had that. Brilliant. I love Richard. I had him on the show. He's like one of the first guests I had on in, the, in this new season. Such a great time chatting with him. Um, He's a man. Yeah, I only realised he was out there when uh, Andy Brown said that he met with him when he was over there. It just made me miss it even more. I wish I'd managed to get on a flight and and come over and see in a game or two. And sitting in the stands, you eating some uh, breakfasts. <laughs> uh, every time the camera cut away, you just you, see you sitting there eating something. It's just like yeah, that looks so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how how, how good is the ballpark food compared to other stuff that you've tried? I think personally, all round the all round facility is the best in Europe I've, that I've been to. Um, I was fortunate to be in Harlem earlier this year in Holland for Harlem Baseball Week, and that's a bigger facility with more seats. But Regensburg is incredible. It, it's it's major league setup. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it did, it did look fantastic from the screen. Again, it's just another one. I just wish I'd been there in person to to see it and sample it. It just looked it looked amazing. Yeah, it really did. So uh, let's have a look then at the first game. Uh, do you want to talk us through that one? It was uh, the big victory against the French. Would you like to talk us through the experiences of that one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can start. And again, you know, I mean, John, let's just jump in on this. But um, so obviously the France game, in many respects, was the game I was most nervous about. Um, you know, I think, you know, you, you're trying not to listen to any outside influences but you know we're reading the pre-game you know pre-tournament recaps you know breakdowns and there's a lot of well these guys are good you know great britain's got a really great team on paper but we'll see if they can gel and if they can play as a team um getting a lot of questions about managing against bruce bochi you know um and you know although we had scouted the teams and had seen the rosters you don't really know what teams are going to be like till you see him get going um you know and that's true for both you know the team you're managing and the team you're facing um so you know probably the most nerves for me was was going into that game compared to any either of the other two um you know and then i think you know 
once it got rolling um, and, you know, I saw what our team, the way we were battling, it was the way we, even early on when we weren't necessarily scoring tons right away, we, you know, we were, we were, we were having good at bats, you know, the, the energy in the dugout was positive. If a guy did something great, the team was up. If a guy didn't succeed at the plate, the team had his back. They were just all picking each other up. So what I observed right away, was like, oh, we're a team. We are all locked in. We're here to win. Um, and, you know, and, and, and then after that, you know, I, th I think it was just, you know, making sure that the, the pitching plan was working and we were staying on, on that process, which, you know, credit to Zach and Connor, um, cause they, they, they couldn't have scripted the whole tournament out better than they did. It was incredible the work they did. Um, and so just, you know, that made the job really easy, just following the plan, you know, watching it go. And I think, you know, it felt a bit tight early on. And then, you know, once the offense got going, um, for me, it was, you know, it was quite a quite a relaxing game. You know, just just watching the guys work, it, and and it became and it became it went from stressful to enjoyable. You know, I never felt like I became a fan and was watching. You're managing every aspect of the process, yeah. but it but it got fun, um, and it was really exciting to see the momentum build and and the guys' confidence build. And you know, I think you know watching the body language of the team walking out of the tunnel versus the body language of the team walking into the tunnel told me everything I needed to know about how that week was going to go. Yeah, I think for me it was a it was a day of a lot of emotions, right? I think so. I had been an advanced scout for teams, but I had never been the team's advanced scout, um, and so that was an interesting emotion, knowing that I would be watching the game from the bleachers, and it was something I was really apprehensive about pregame because I've never done it before. I've never watched GB from the bleachers before. Um, it was the first time we sung "God Save the King" after the Queen had passed away, sadly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and MOB very kindly had allowed us to have the whole delegation on the third baseline to sing the anthem, um, which was very nice of them. And it was a, a, a amazing moment to share with the 40 odd other people that were there to help us win. Um, and once the game started, it was kind of, uh, relaxing, you know, it'd been such a hectic eight to 10 days. We've been, we've been on the go preparing and scouting other teams and running mini camp and then the game started and it was like oh okay yeah this is why we're here this is the reason we've done this all oh and we are really really good as good as we thought we were maybe better um and yeah you know when when ivana cunha hit that home run against us to right center field and we went down one nothing there was like not a jot of worry i wrote down how fast the pitch was on the sheet and we moved on to the next one because I knew we had something a bit different. Um, and it played out, played out very, very quickly in front of our eyes. That's interesting. What what were the the best sort of stats that you found about your own about GB? What what was the the story for you then from the bleachers? It was fun watching Michael Peterson throw 97. That stood out if you wanted a number. Uh, seeing 97 on a radar gun from a baseball throw from a British pitcher was pretty fun. I think for me, it was less about stat. For me, for me, it was more, and this is probably from a coaching perspective more than a scouting perspective, but I could see how tough every at-bat we were having was. And I was with Lee McPhail, who was another one of our scouts, and I was saying to him, we're a nightmare to pitch to, you know, because even if you have a one, two, three inning, you've thrown 19 pitches and given up two loud foul balls and nothing was easy. We didn't give anything away. And it just filled me with such confidence because I, and you know, I can see Skip nodding his head. We've both played against teams 
with that type of offense. And it's exhausting. It's relentless and it wears you down and it creates fear and worry and doubt. Um, so I knew pretty early, even one nothing down, the, the, the way we were putting together our bats, we were, we were going to have a really good team and a really good shot. Yeah, I mean, the 14-4 the scoreline was just... Like, I, I think if, if anyone had nerves going into it, I think after watching the performance... Right. A lot, a lot of people were believing that that it was ours for the taking. Or ours, ours for losing. It was. It was so impressive to see. But um, I think the score is a little bit of a misnomer, and I'll only say that because it was it was six three in the sixth, or even the seventh, maybe. You know, um, France played great, and they were a great mm-hmm. example of a team who were way better in person than they were on video. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely walked away from that game with way higher grades on the majority of their players than I had from before the game. Um, so it was, you know, we won 14-4, but it was a, it was a good ball game. It was a close ball game and they, they played us really tough. And uh, Drew, uh, to say that you, you were nervous before it, you didn't show it at all. Throughout the whole tournament, you had like rested, not phased face, if, if that's such a thing. It was a, it was very, very cool. In fact, one of my questions later on was like, how did you, mindset, we're skipping ahead a, a bit, but like, how do you stay so cool and calm? throughout the rest of the time because I remember that third base challenge and you just stood there like yeah and we're on the edge of our seats and I was just like chewing my fingers and it was just like what's going on I, was like, I don't know he's got to be safe and just worried that it was, it was over but then just like seeing it come back to you all the time it's like yeah he's, he's safe all day because you just didn't seem phased by anything Um, so two things one I'd say is, is I've worked I've worked hard to get to that place to manage that you know, um, I think when you first start managing, especially if you played, emotion plays a lot more into how you approach your job. Um, and so, you know, I've, you know, there's, I mean, there's video evidence out there of me being a lot more animated and passionate um, as a manager than I was at any point in this tournament. Um you know, and some of that's like spending time, you know, working on, you know, the my the aspects of my mental game. So I've spent time with, you know, meditation apps, with champions mind, you know, mindset apps, spent a lot of time thinking about that because, you know, I know that my energy is going to carry over into the coaching staff and carry over into the team, right? So I've worked really hard on getting to a place where I can stay calm. And it comes from a couple of things. Like one is accepting that the outcome's not in your hands. Like it's the the players play the game, you know. Um, and it's taken me a long time to realize and 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 to kind of get my head around that. Like they play, I'm here to just create the conditions for them to succeed. Um, and so that's about doing all the prep that's necessary before the game gets going, so that you you feel ready for every decision. Um, and then it's working on yourself, you know, knowing how to slow things down, um, which is an important part of my skill set. It's something that I try to pass on um, to anybody I, you know, work with in the staff and anybody I work with as a player. Um, and I, but I'll be honest, like it was, it was certainly it's it's put to the test every time I go out because I feel everything as strongly and as passionately. My face might show one story, but inside there's a whole other thing going on. And it's just about learning how to control that emotion, recognizing when it's useful to you and to the team, and when it's not. Um, so you know, like I, I want to say that because I think a lot of people think that some people are just built that way and it's natural and it's automatic and it's a hundred percent not, you know, I think if you're a coach in British baseball or further afield, or you're a player, you know, like working on your ability to stay calm and breathe through things and be in the moment is a skill that takes work. 
Yeah. Um, but I think I think the other aspect to that, Matt, that I would add is, you know, again, I had the best coaching staff at that whole tournament, hands down. Um, and we had the best team at the whole tournament. So, you know, you can you can download all the meditation apps in the world and you know, do all the work on yourself you want. And if you have a bad team and a bad coaching staff, you're gonna find yourself not able to stay very calm in the tournament. It's much easier when Michael Peterson's throwing 97 and your number nine hitters, you know, on third base every time he's on first, he's on first base one second, third base two seconds later, um, and is scoring all day long and is, is on base eight out of ten times he gets up. You know, like it's it's a lot easier to stay calm in those moments yeah. um, when when that's the kind of type of team you have. And we faced a lot of adversity. Um, and I think, you know, as Kramer said, we knew who these guys were once we saw the first few at bats against France. So there was never a point where I felt like this group of men can't handle this situation. Yeah. What was it like then sat in the stands, uh, Jonathan, when you were watching it all unfold? Like, because there were quite a few fans out there. Was it hard for you to stay focused and on point or not get caught up in it all? Um, from an emotional standpoint, it is the single hardest challenge I've had in my baseball career, I'd, honestly. Um, the feeling of helplessness of being on the field or in the dugout was it was it was a new emotion and it was it was an interesting emotion. It's an experience I'm really glad that I've had. I feel like I've learned some things about myself, as Drew was saying, right? Um but yeah, it was tough. I think when we played Germany and it was a full house, we had me and Lee had a, a, a row of Germans behind us who were smoking and drinking for fun and uh they were having some fun with us and it was kind of hard to, to stay locked into two things at once. Um, but that was, yeah, it's part of the experience. Right. And I think, you know, me, me and Drew have done plenty of games together in front of three men and a dog. So again, good problems to have. There's a row of people behind me heckling me because we're be beating their team. Ah, it's good problems to have. Um, but yeah, locking in wasn't difficult. Just trying to take one single deep breath at any point during any of those games was difficult. Lovely stuff. So uh, can you talk us through the memories of, of the Germany game? Yeah. Um, actually, John, you go. I, I, I keep jumping in first. I'd love, you to, I'd love you to go first, and I'll come in after you. We knew we had a really big challenge against Germany. They, uh, we'd seen, seen quite a bit of them, and we knew they had three or four guys with major league experience. We knew the starting pitcher was going to be uh, Brian Flynn, who pitched in the big league. So we knew it was going to be a tough challenge. Um, I think, again, kind of a recurring theme in the first inning, when you're one and two hitters reach base with hit by pitches, it, it, first of all, it's good to have two runners on and no outs in the first inning, but it also kind of it sets tempo a little bit, sends a message. Um, and then I, I remember correctly, Nick Ward had loud contact to left center field and Aaron Altair ran it down. And then when Justin Wiley hit the home run to right center field, um, knowing that we had a Kiel Morris going on the mound for us, who pitched, I think he has 80 games in the big leagues. Um, I was very calm, very relaxed. Um, and was at that point, and, and I told some of the guys this after the game, at that point in my career, I was 0-8 against Germany in my GB career. They were a team I'd never beaten and a team that I really wanted to beat. Um, but that first inning, again, just, and even when they scored in the first, just very confident, very relaxed, knew that we had some really good arms coming out of the bullpen and that if we, if, if the script went how we thought it was going to go, we were going to be fine. Um, the rain delay, 
could have kiboshed things a little bit for us. I think it could have it could have been a momentum killer. It could have really helped them. Um, but we we did. I think our boys did a great job of maintaining their energy. They got in the cage. They got their swings in. They got back down into the dugout and were ready to go. Um, so for me, the Germany game was the most relaxed I was at the whole tournament. It, it seemed like, uh, I don't know, it just seemed like business for our guys. Yeah, it was really nice to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, you know, I, I would have to agree. I felt incredibly relaxed going into the game against Germany. I felt like, you know, hey, win or lose, I know what kind of team this is. And if we lose, it's going to be a hard-fought loss, and it will be a close game. You know, like we're not going to get blown out by anybody here at this tournament, and most certainly not Germany. Um, I, I haven't lost as many times to Germany as some of my some of the guys in the program have, but they they put it on us in under twenty threes in twenty nineteen is the only time I've managed against Germany. Um, they put it on us, and. Uh, you know, it was it was a tough one because we'd come off that exciting win against the Dutch in the first game, showed up the next day not having managed the energy. Um, I think, you know, um, you know, I think we we were we were a bit flat in that game because we had such an emotional victory the day before. So, you know, for me, the game against Germany started the minute the France game ended. Um, because I was very clear, you know, I was like, you know, very my message to the team, which was very brief, was basically you haven't done anything yet. You won one game, you know, and the last time we won the first game of the tournament and had to face Germany the next day, they handed our behinds to us. So um, I want to make sure that tomorrow we show up and, you know, I said to them, this is a business trip. Don't forget that. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, I think for me, it was, it was, I was locked, I was calm, but I was locked in and focused. I think I wanted, that was the game I wanted to win the most, you know, and I think, being a competitor and knowing that they were going to have, you know, two thousand and, you know, 2,200 people in the stands waving the big, you know, big heads of all their players and, you know, with their mascot walking around and we're on their home turf. Um, God, if you're a competitor, if you, you know, if you're a competitor, you live for that situation. So I was amped. Like I wanted, I wanted to take it to them. And, uh, and like, you know, we, you know, we knew our pitching would be superb. We, we knew clearly we could score runs, you know, um, you know, they, they had a guy with, you know, with, with MLB experience starting against us. Um, and so, you know, you know, I think the only question mark for me was, you know, how will those first couple innings go? You know, will we need a minute? Cause the caliber of pitching we're going to see today is, is, is probably going to be a bit better to what we saw in the France game. So, you know, that that was the bit for me was like, you know, do we need to think about any adjustments on offense or any of that sort of stuff? But, um, you know, you score 14 runs, you you, you turn to your, you know, Brad Marcelino running the offense for us. Hey, do what you did yesterday. You know, it was a, quite, an e quite an easy task. Like just, you know, score 14 runs again, please. Um, <laughs> you know, no problem. And, uh, he you know, he, he just about delivered. Yeah, he's doing a bang, banging job, you know. Brad Marcin on the GB squad qualification. He gets in the Mariners organization, see what happens over there. Yeah. Secret yeah. sauce. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Oh, oh Brad, great, great dude. It's um it was good, good to see him out there out and about as well. Um with with the you mentioned there about the pitching and, and the lineups as well before we get into the Spain game. Uh you only made like I think only one or two changes to the to the lineup throughout the, the whole of the tournament. 
how hard was it to, with all the talent available, was it to set that initial batting lineup? And also, how did you sort of manage the expectations with such a talented bullpen as well? Putting the first lineup together, most difficult one I've ever done. Um, and we've had some good lineups put together. But again, you know, it's, it's kind of like we were saying earlier about the roster. You know, um, you have Aaron Singh on the team, right? Aaron Singh, you know, who was probably the best, you know, offensive player, if not the best player at, at the Euros last year. Yeah, yeah. First time he suits up for us, he's an absolute phenomenon at the plate. Revives his career, you know, um, shows up, still swinging it well, looking great, you know? Like, that guy's not going to be, you know, you're, you're drawing it out. You're like, God, Aaron Singh's not in this lineup, you know? Shamoy Christopher, right? Switch hitting, you know, like beast of a man who was amazing at managing the, the 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 pitching staff last year, like instantly earned the trust and dedication of his pitching staff at the Euros last year, right? That guy's not going to start. You know, sure, Harry Ford's great, but like you're looking at it going, Harry Ford's great, but Shamoy Christopher's really not going to be in this lineup. Aaron Singh really not going to be in this lineup? Like that was hard. So we went through permutation after permutation after permutation. Um, and it's the process we always go through. And I get every guy, hey, Kramen, what's your lineup? Mars, what's your lineup? TS, what's your lineup? You know, we even invite the pitching guys, you know, Grafser, what's your lineup? Brooks, like these are all baseball guys, right? So we look at that and then we rewrite them and we discuss it again and we rewrite them. And and, and it, it was really, really hard, you know, got a little easier after the first game. Yeah. Uh, it was like, hey, we scored 14 runs yesterday. We scored eight against Germany. Like, let's roll the same guys out again um, until it breaks. But um but yeah, the, the the first one was was very very tough. Just I I think just because the general caliber of player that we had available to us. Yeah, and then I think on the on the pitching side, diff, is different. You know, the tournament rules dictated a lot of of how we needed to approach it. Yeah, right. And I think it's a very I think you know if those tournament rules weren't in place, you know, I think with some pitchers, not with the pitching staff we had because they were committed teammates, they were bought into the culture, right? And that helps so much. But I think with some pitching staffs, it might be difficult to say, hey, you flew halfway around the world to pitch two innings on a Wednesday, and that's it. You know? Um, you know, but but again, you know, credit to Zach and, and Connor Brooks because they scripted it out. They had a plan, you know, game one, game two, game three. Um, I mean, I've, I've rarely seen a plan work as well as it did. Like, they, we, we, we never veered from it. There was never a like, well – that's gone wrong. What do we do now? You know, um, it literally every step of the way. Um, and so I think when you have a plan, it's solid and you can sit guys down ahead of time and talk to them about what's going to win, you know, what the tournament rules are and what we need from you in order to make this happen. Um, it gets a little easier to do. And then, and like I said, credit to the guys because they were bought in and, and Kramen mentioned it earlier, you know, when you got guys like Dan Cooper and, and Michael Roth, you know, veterans who've, who've been there before and done it. And they're setting the example from day one about the goal here is to win as a team. And it's not going to be about any one of us as individuals, you know, playing for Great Britain is special. And, you know, we're doing this for all of the people, all the years that have watched us not win. Yeah. You know, like, so we're doing this for them. And and when, when they're setting that example, nobody's going to argue with them. Yeah, and I've got. To, I I think I got to jump in here and give some kudos to Skip. We 
once we had all the affiliated guys there and we had 28 men on the ground, as it were, in the hotel on the first day, we had a team meeting after our MLB mandated meeting where Drew had all the players, all the coaches, all of the support delegation, Andy Brown, the painter, Paul Stoddart, the photographer, literally everyone who was involved in the entire effort, a, a, a whole team meeting. Um, and we ran around one by one, all 43 people, whoever, however much it was, and said who we were, what our hometown was, and what our link to GB was, and what it meant to us. And um, I've done some of those meetings before in the past with GB teams or with other baseball teams, but this one was different. It had a different feeling about it. Um, and then, you know, I said this to Drew before, We, I felt like we went into that room 20, 28, those, those 28 players were teammates, and they walked out like brothers. It was a really special feeling and walking out of that meeting was a special feeling and it meant that we got incredible levels of buy-in from from guys who playing at a very high level um so i have to give my kudos and my props to skip there it it, it was a special moment that that really kind of for me was the catalyst for us to go on and do what we did yeah it didn't make making the lineup any easier but it did make it, <laughs> easier. it, did, make, it did make it a lot easier to talk to pitchers about their roles and you know, and how we were going to approach things. And it made it easier, you know, when you, you know, you needed to pull a guy out, you know, we, we took Harry out in the first game just because he'd, he'd been on his, you know, he had he'd slid a couple of times and had made a couple of plays where he was, you know, I just wanted to make sure he got a chance to rest. And, you know, it was like, no problem, up and in, you know. We needed to make a pitching change, you know, whether the person had pitched in the big leagues or, you know, had, you know, never pitched, you know, never pitched beyond amateur ball. Um, they were happy to do what was asked of them because they, they knew why we were there. Yeah, yeah. You could even see, like, in the press conferences afterwards, the some of the 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 vibes and stuff that people were giving off. How how into it? I mean, I I love like Harry became my new favorite player. I can't say he was my new favorite player. There's so many on there that I just love watching. But it's like the off field stuff as well. Is yeah. I love how we're brought into to Britain to to being part of GB. He really was. It was just very entertaining, very fun to watch. Well, I think it's 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 fun. It it brings the team together. It's it's also really really important. I mean, I think you know there there are those out there that would have things to say about you know how many players have come from the British leagues and and things like that. And I've I've even seen the question framed, you know, have the team having more British players? Um, and I you know I've, I've said this. I said this to a couple of people. Like I challenge you to sit in a room with these guys and hear people talk about you know my grandmother's Scottish, you know, and my mom is Scottish and it's like I've I've I'm I've know so many stories about where my family's from from connecting with my grandmother over the years and I've always felt a connection to Britain and she passed away two years ago, you know, and and I was so excited when I got the call to come play for this team because it was a chance to honor my grandmother's memory, you yeah. know, or you know Harry like you know I, I Harry's like I, I've you know I come every year on holiday to see family you know and Harry's eighty year old grandmother's in the stands, you know, and it's like sure these guys. You know, they've probably, you know, they've never seen, you know, um, Finsbury Park. You know, they've never, you know, they, they've never played a game, you know, at, at, at Farnham or been down to Brighton's Fields or, you know, have seen Hemel Hampstead. Um, they don't have a British accent. They couldn't name a school, some of them in this country. But, you know, it's interesting when you hear all that, you think, you know, all these people here are British and they're all, they are all playing for the same reasons that anybody who's from here would be playing for. Exactly, is to to put pride in the, in this name, yeah, and to inspire kids to play baseball, kid, British kids to play baseball. 
and that's the great thing you said there is it's about the inspiration of the of the next the next generation. I mean, my, even when we're watching the the women's play, but we, I watched it with my, my son. He's now five, and yeah. after every game, it's like, can we go and play? Can we go play? It's like, yeah. And there's there's like five hundred people in these chats on YouTube all watching the same game. I'm hoping someone have got their kids with him, and yeah. they're the ones that, is, that are getting that inspiration. Yeah, Gavin Marshall sent me a text the next day. His son wanted to go play catch after the game. You know, like, yeah. you know, it didn't matter if you're a beginner, your family's new to baseball, or you're the fourth generation, you know, of Hall of Famers. Um, you know that that was that was the job, and 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 you know, I made it very clear to guys. That's one of the things I explained when I talked to them about playing for Great Britain. What we are trying to do will not be felt for twenty years. Like, it's great we win a tournament right now. You know, that's fun. Winning games now is great. But, you know, we're winning now to get kids to play so that in 20 years we're still winning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And especially with the, the coverage as well. Yeah. That it got the attention. It's like the BBC getting involved with it and talk shows. And we heard you on, on the radio as well. Like, there was no Mickey taking. There was no fun poking. It was all yeah. right behind the team. And it was yeah. just great. Uh, just I, I wasn't expecting that. To, to see how the rest of the media sort of took hold of it and and helped to push it too. Yeah. Yeah, it was superb. So let's get on to that main event then, the, the Spain game. Now, now I I was twitching through this one. And I know that I've, I've had a conversation with people from different places that said that they, they believed and they had all that. And I'm not saying that I, my belief wasn't in any way shaken, but Again, it's just through past experiences, there's always something in the back of my mind that was like, oh, so close yet so far. But I'm so happy to be proved wrong, as always. The 10-9 the game, um, I'm not going to bore you with my memories of it because most of it was biting nails. So do you <laughs> want to talk us for that day? Yeah, I mean, you know, pressure is a privilege, right? Said that earlier. So woke up definitely like, wow, today's a day. We can really, we can do something that we've all been working towards, that we've all believed in, that, you know, my personal confidence and belief has tripled in the last three days. You know, like I woke up that day going, I should be feeling quite nervous, but we've got the better team. And and it was like momentum's on our side. We've got the right culture. Like these guys are bought in. They are playing for the right reasons. We are prepared for whatever they have to throw at us. We've done our homework. Um, and it's interesting. There was a moment where the tournament organizers had reached out to us and suggested that they might swap the time and give us the early game so that Germany could have the night game um, for commercial reasons, which made sense. Like they, they might yeah. sell more tickets and, and obviously it's a huge investment to throw a tournament like that. Um, but they had told us, yeah, we made some counter arguments. Um, and upon reading our counter arguments, they came back and said, no, we need to keep your game at that time. And at that, I knew when I heard that we were going to, you know, we were going to get the game time that we wanted. Because, and Kramer will tell you this over the years of being at various tournaments in Europe, there are often things that come up. And, you know, I'm not going to go as far as to say that anybody has anything against us, but. Sometimes a lot of times those decisions don't go our team's way. Yeah. 
you know, they often don't. And, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to put bring politics into it, but I think, you know, when you're the Dutch or the Italians or the Germans and you have a record or a history of winning, you tend to know more people, you tend to get more decisions going your way. You know, when you're a small nation in baseball terms that hasn't won much, your, your opinion, as much as they'll say everybody has the same opinion, my experience is that it, it doesn't always work that way. When we got that call, I was like, we're winning this thing. We're going to win this thing. Like this is, it's set. We are the, we are the best two teams playing in prime time. And my team is better prepared than their team is. I don't care about talent. We are better. We're more committed. We're better prepared. And I never, ever once thought we were going to lose that game. Yeah. Like even when, even when we went down early um, and I felt real bad because, you know, uh, Vance is from the same city I'm from. So we'd, we'd had a whole connection. I just felt bad for him as a human being because I knew how much it meant to him to get out there and, and do his thing for the boys. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing to get noticed or get signed again. You know, it wasn't about anything other than like finishing the job. Um, and so I felt bad when that happened, but at no point, even when we went down four, did I think, yeah, we don't have it in us. We're going to lose. I knew he'd come out. Somebody over there would put an arm around him, pick him up we'd be pulling for the team and then we would just go at them. You know, relentless was the theme all week. And, and we showed that in that game. Yeah. I think we've done it. We've done a ton of work on Spain. Um, we, we had a feeling that we would have to play them at a big game of this tournament. And so we, we really made sure we covered every base and, and with all the work we've done and all the reports we produced, we knew that we were a better baseball team than Spain, but we knew that the margin wasn't very big. And we knew that they had some impact players who could really, really hurt us if we allowed them to. Um, and case in point, you know, Noel Di Marte hits uh, a very well-commanded Michael Roth changeup out to right centre field. And Mike made his pitch and, and he stuck to the report. But Noel Di just beat us. And we knew that that was going to be the case. And we knew it was not going to be a walkover. We knew it was going to be a, a boxing match. It was going to, you know, back and forth. For me... In terms of true confidence that we were going to win that game, we go down four nothing in the top of the first, and and the nerves certainly grew for me at least. And then Harry Ford did the home run, and we punched back instantaneously. And I said, "Oh, we're going to be okay. It's going to be one one or lost late, but we're going to be okay. This is going to be a very close game, and and if we have the margins with us, we're going to win it." Um, and again, you know, it kind of comes back to what I said about the France game. They, our, our offense was so relentless with their at-bats that we wore the Spanish bullpen down. You know, Medrano wasn't available for them because he'd thrown against South Africa and he was their number one guy. So we knew we weren't facing him. And we got to a point where, at least by our own internal rankings, we were facing their fifth, sixth, and seventh relievers. So we knew we were going to have success. It was just going to take some time to come for us. But there were so many moments in that game that could have gone either way that you can't say definitively we were going to win or lose. You know, there were so many things that happened. Um, it was it was a crazy baseball game. And I think it was a baseball game that was so crazy and had so much emotion. I wasn't able to fully appreciate how good of just the baseball game it was until a couple of weeks later when I sat down and watched it back. So, yeah, lots of confidence that we were good enough to win the game. Um but not true. We are winning this game confidence until Harry hits that ball in the in the first. Yeah, um, 
my memories of that game are just nearly waking up my son from upstairs, me being sat downstairs with some expletives. <laughs> we were being a family show. I, I was over the moon is an understatement. But yeah. I, I'd done a really good job of not celebrating um, throughout the whole tournament. I was like, be professional, cameras, professional. Um, and from Deshaun Knowles' two-run home run onwards, I completely ditched that policy <laughs> and celebrated everything wholeheartedly. I yelled so hard when Jaden Rudd hit that home run in the ninth that I think I pulled something in my neck. Um, yeah, professionalism went out the window real fast after Deshaun's two-run home run. Yeah, it was it was great. It's it's probably the most memorable games I've I've seen of late, and I've I've watched quite a few of the GB ones back over over history. It's on YouTube, whatever can get my hands on, but by far one of the most entertaining mm. I've, I've I've seen in a long time. It was it was so good to see. As it was ace, and uh, give a little bit of love as well to the Czech Republic while while we're on as well for also qualifying because they 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 had like, like it was going to be a turbulent tournament for them, but again another good European um, powerhouse there get getting for for next year. I suppose leads us on to the um, what are your plans for for March next year twenty twenty three. What are you thinking? Same job. You know, um, right back to work as soon as we got back. You know, let's put the most competitive team we can find on the field because the goal is that we create a memory structure for baseball players who will play for this country in 10 or 15 or 20 years that guys wearing Great Britain jerseys won big games. So I can believe that that's a possibility for us. That's yeah. a possibility for me, right? So same job. No expectations about how many games we will win or lose. We'll be better than the uninformed think we are. There will be those that just see the name Great Britain on the tournament list and will make some of the jokes I've already seen, which crack me up online. There's been some absolute crackers, you know, just on, on Reddit and you know, on Twitter, you know, just people making speculation about about our chances. Um, I'm not going to speculate. All I'm going to say is that, you know, we're going to be a better team than, you know, people who are uninitiated think, and we're going to take the same approach. We're going we're going with the goal to, to win. You know, that's the plan. Let's go win the tournament. Let's surprise some people. Let's make history again. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and if we don't, then as long as we were, you know, good people, who played the game right and knew what they were doing it for, then, you know, Hey, then it, it was, you know, then it was a, a good experience for us. And that, so that's the plan, you know, a lot more hours, a lot less sleep um, than any of us were probably expecting to have for the next few months. Um, but that's what it takes. That's cool. Do you think that underdog status helps the, the team? Like people writing them off and making the jokes. Does, does it light a fire on you a bit more? Yes and no. I mean, I think, Sorry, that's my laptop letting me know I got ridiculous emails. Um, I think if you're a competitor, you find ways to have a bit of an edge. And so being seen as the underdog is a fun one. You know, I've been on a lot of teams and I've been in a lot of situations in life where I was underestimated. Um, and I can use that. But and look, at the same time, you know, I've been on teams that were dominant. You know, um, you know, you think about some of the teams that John and I have been a part of in the last few years domestically, we were not underdogs. 
Um, and yet you still find a way to motivate yourself. So, yeah, I mean, look, you know, obviously if you are the underdog, use it. And I'm certainly going to, you know, we're certainly going to talk to the guys about the fact that everybody's going to look and see Great Britain on the schedule at the WBC and think, great, easy game. And our job is to make sure that that's not how they remember us. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in a similar similar spot to Skip. I think it's something that I used to use to motivate me, but that was probably just the competitor and me trying to find an excuse. Because, um, like Skip said, once we got to the top of the the domestic game in Britain, that that fire to to get better and win was still there. Um, for me now, it's it's kind of the antithesis of that. Actually, the outside noise doesn't matter. What anyone else thinks, you know figuratively and literally doesn't matter to us. It's just about what can we do to to fulfill our mission statement, to fulfill who we want to be as a program, and to ensure that as as Drew talks to all of the staff about all the time, how is this helping us for the next two, five and ten years, right? Um so yeah, this this tournament, no, and I think for the next one, no, it's just, you know, it's about working harder than the other guys, to be honest with you. And uh, you know, there are times when I want to go to sleep. And I think to myself, well, maybe, maybe the, the dude from Italy's working right now, so I'll just do another hour. But that's not an underdog thing. It, it's just about competing and, and and making sure that we can make more memories like we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's really cool. And there's going to be a lot more players available this time around as well. There's a certain play place for that little team in Miami. That so I've mentioned he'd like to put on a GB jersey again. What's he called? Chisholm something? Yeah, he's not bad. Yeah, yeah he's good at aim baseballs. Yeah, he's he's not bad, not bad at all. Well, he said he wants my jersey number, so he's gonna have to see me first. <laughs> we get him on board, you know. <laughs> I think the ninth inning might have said that that's Jaden Rudd's jersey number now. Yeah, you're right. You know what, Skip? You're right. I lost it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, again, it's going to be some more interesting headaches for you coming up in the in the future. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be great to see. Uh, where where would you rather be played? Where where do you want to end up? Out of all the locations you could potentially go to, tough one. Um, that all be fun. You know, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, there's there's an argument that you know Miami's nice because you, you know travel wise, it's 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 probably the easiest trip. Um, you know, and and if a certain player from a certain team, you know, ends up on the on our team with us, then you know you're playing in front of his home crowd, um, which which might you know again that might you might find a little one percent advantage out of that, which could be interesting, um, you know. But at the same time, I mean, you know, all I want is a nice field, you know, like you know Japan on a personal level, it'd be fun to go to Asia just because. To have that experience would be great. I've been to Miami. I've been to Arizona. Um, I've never been to Chinese Taipei, and I've never been to Japan. So, those would be fun on a personal level. But you know, um, you know, if I put, if I think purely as a baseball manager, Florida is probably the easiest trip for everybody to make, and has the most infrastructure in my mind um, for us to organize a tournament around. Yeah, that'd be cool. Right, you, Jonathan? Anything? Uh, I think using my head in terms of what's going to give us the best chance to qualify. I, I would love to go to Taiwan. I think, you know, Miami would be great commercially, but the Venezuela, you know, the Venezuela national team, the Dominican national team are pretty good. Um, and same with Arizona. Um, 
But the same as Skip, from, from an emotional level, for an experience, Japan would be incredible. And I was fortunate enough to see their national team play this summer in Holland. And it was an honor. It felt, I walked away from it feeling like I was privileged to have seen those guys go about their business the way they do. So to have the opportunity to go over there and really immerse yourself in that culture for, for a week or two would be amazing. Yeah. What's it out for you then from that, from that experience watching a Japanese team? Uh, their infield outfield before a game is a work of art. It's not, it ceases to be baseball. It's like a performance. It's one of the most well-run, well-drilled things I've ever seen in my life. I, I took a video of it that's eight minutes long. Um, and it's remarkable amounts of perfection with 24 players on the field. It's amazing. So we've talked quite a bit there about your on-field memories. I want to know what your favourite off-field memories from this Germany tournament. Definitely what used to be called the Rookie Ritual, which became known as Anthem Practice this time around. Um, you know, as you you know, no, we always sing the national anthem, you know, and, and, and before all the games. Um, it's one of the one of my favorite parts again about like the culture within GB baseball is the ritual for a new player or coach is is to sing the anthem in a public place together. Um and the last few times I've done it, we did it at the end of the tournament, but this year Michael Roth and, and Dan Cooper, leaders of the team, said that, you know, they wanted us to go out before the tournament got started and and sing it. And so it got named Anthem Practice. And we went and found, uh, you know, a nice place in the center of Regensburg. And and all of us who are rookies, which includes, so it includes myself and includes Kramen, for example, because this was, this is a new level in the program for us. So we were rookies with the WBC team. Um, so I think now probably my last time needing to sing the Anthem. Um, but, but um you know, at least at anthem practice, but, but doing that, it's always just a really fun, special time, you know? And I mean, guys like our, our, our MLB appointed trainer, Jesse Guffey was out there, you know, singing it with us. Um, you know, so again, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if you're new to the team this year, you're new to the team, whether you paint on easels, you know, fix broken shoulders or swing a bat, doesn't matter. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're part of the team. So that, that for me is, is definitely, a really fun, you know, really fun memory. And uh and just Anthony Seymour generally. Oh what a guy. Yeah. He's my spirit animal. Yeah. No, and I mean, you know, and and you know, you you saw the personality, you know, oozing out of that guy on camera in the game. But I just feel like every team meeting we had, every breakfast we had, every dinner we had. I can remember a moment where Anthony just had exactly the right thing to say, whether it was, you know, a joke when we needed it or, you know, an inspirational, you know, line to rile up the team when we needed it. You know, he just, he just always like the best teammate, just always seemed to have the right thing to say. You know, when I look back and Kramen said it, you know, within an hour or two of him arriving to the very first day of practice, you knew he, you know, he, you felt his presence. Um, and, and he's definitely, he stands out to me. Like, you know, he, he's the guy I kind of thought like, you know, I love getting players and, and coaches over for dinner. And he's, he'd be, if, if they all lived here, Anthony be one of the first people I'd be, you know, you need to come over and have dinner. I want you to meet my son and, you know, and meet my daughter and, you know, meet my wife. And like, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're just a, a great guy to have around. So inspirational. So he's a big part of a lot of my, my off-field memories. 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna peg onto the back of that before I do mine. Not necessarily off field, but a very strong memory I have is of day one of camp, Anthony Seymour and Gerald Forbes playing catch. And usually it takes baseball players 10, 15 minutes to get fully stretched out into long toss. Anthony Seymour was seven throws into catch play and he was standing on the center field fence, <laughs> throwing the ball as hard as he physically could. And the coaching staff standing around going, what is going on? I've never seen this. What's going on with this guy? Is he okay? And Ural Forbes is furious because he hasn't had time to get his arms stretched out like a normal human being. <laughs> and I watched that and went, yeah, this dude, we've been told this dude's a bit different energy level wise, but that's, I've never seen that before. Anyone, I've never seen anyone do what he did before. He seven throws center field fence, seven throws back in. I'm good to go for practice, boys. Um, so just a little anecdote on just the type of human that, that Anthony is. He attacks everything head first. Uh, memories for me, I've got two really distinct ones. The first one is after, obviously after the Spain win, uh, I rushed down to the clubhouse from the bleachers onto the field, started celebrating with the guys when me and Skip put eyes on each other and gave each other a hug and we knew we'd done it. Just inside the dugout was a really special moment because we've been on this journey together, you know. Um, we, we were doing Mets youth stuff in 2016, 2015 together. Um, and it's been a long journey and there's been lots of self-doubt for both of us. And we've talked about our imposter syndrome and how hard it's been. And to, to have that combination of events and have us do it together was really special. And don't get me wrong, also with Brad Marcelino, who was someone I looked up to as a kid and Graspa who coached me, but it was a special moment. Um, and then the second one was after all was said and done and the players started going home the day after the tournament ended for us, at least we, uh, the coaching staff decided we wanted to just spend a day together, not being baseball coaches. So we went down to Munich to visit Oktoberfest, which was obviously fun as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh yeah. Um, but the journey to Oktoberfest sitting in the van with Skip, Connor Brooks and Will Linton, I think all four of us kind of at the same time had a, Oh, we did it sort of moment at least i know it all sort of hit me on that van ride kind of the the scale of what we've done and all the hard work had gone into it um so that van ride will forever be burned into my memory is just a really special moment with your boys where you you, you achieved something that you set out to do yeah it sounds like a quiet afternoon out though yeah <laughs> yeah it was super quiet early night yeah. babies know. listening on the way down there yeah. Check yeah. out the local delicacies. Yeah, a couple of lemonades back to the hotel. Make sure we stayed hydrated. Exactly. Definitely exactly. stayed hydrated. Yeah. Sensible. <laughs> a little fresh and fun. <laughs> there, there's a podcast for another time. Oktoberfest. <laughs> fun. Uh, all right. Um, oh, two more questions for me before we get on to listeners' questions because we've had some that, that have come through. Um, in your experiences, both of you as as uh, coaches of winning uh, teams, such as the Mets and the under-23s, what's been the common trend between the successful teams? John, why don't you go first, man? I'd love to hear you. Culture. Just culture. And just having guys playing for each other um is it's the secret sauce as far as i'm concerned um and you know I, i've been on some really good baseball teams as a player that didn't win anything because we just didn't quite have that culture of 
willing to do whatever it takes because I know the bloke next to me is gonna gonna do the same thing. Um, and I think we've we've had a remarkable hit rate considering the nature of our program and how quickly we have to get these things together on the ground. We've had a really remarkable hit rate of being able to put together good culture. And I think that comes out of honesty with players. Um, they respect that and it comes out of love and empathy and you know Drew always says to these guys it's important to be a champion but that doesn't mean winning championships right it's about being like a champion human being um, so that's been the common denominator and the culture on this team was remarkable you would have thought that we were at the end of a 150 game season by that by that last day in Germany it was they were a band of brothers it was really remarkable yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can add any more to that, Matt. That would have been, you know, my my answer as well. I think you know it's, you know, good players who are good people, who are bought in, you know, um, you know. I think there's a, there's like a, there's a lot of like everybody plays for a reason, right? Um, and so everybody's got their why, you know, why I'm yeah. why, and I think with both the Mets, and with the GB teams, I've had the good fortune of being involved in everybody's why was the same, you know, when, when my why becomes our why you have something special. And, uh, it, it, that, that's, that to me is, you know, when I look at it, that that's been the common thread, you know, across all those teams, each team had a slightly different why, but all of the members on the team were aligned about what we're here to do. You know, I think probably the only thing I'd, maybe I would add is it just adding into that, sorry, just thinking about it is like, in in all cases, they were playing for something bigger than themselves. You know, like those those Mets teams. Yeah, we wanted to win a championship, but we wanted to the the reason to set to win a championship was to prove to the guys in the youth program why hard work was so important, what we were pushing them for, why we teach the fundamentals, why it's important to come to practice in the middle of the week. You know, um, with and you know and that was true every year. Like we have to prove that this philosophy of what's going to make British baseball better, which is what the Mets was built around. It was not about winning games, you know, um, but it was about proving that that philosophy leads to success. And, and with Great Britain, you know, again, I mean, I've said, it, and, I, and, I, and I'll keep saying it, it's, you know, it's, it's to make sure that in 25 years that there's British kids on that team. Yeah. Well, I've got a five-year-old there with a, a jersey that's handed down by Travis. Um, from the under 18s and I've told him if you want to wear it he's got to earn it so oh, <laughs> we'll see where that journey takes us love it um, speaking of like the, the youth that, that could be coming through um, with the strength of the squad that you've got at the moment what advice have you got to the under 23 players that are sort of on the verge on the brink of being too old to qualify for the next under 23 tournaments and what can they do to sort of make the, make the leap up I mean, I think a couple of things. Like one, I would say is like, don't give up. That that's a big one for me. Um, you know, I think the, don't give up on on playing. Don't give up on your career. Don't give up on yourself. Right. Like the common denominator of a lot of the guys on that team is they're still playing. You know, Vance Worley's played in bigger stages than that. He's played in more important games than that. He's played at higher levels than that. But he's still playing. He's still at it. And because he's still at it, opportunity finds him, you know? Um, and there are a couple of other guys on that team that have been in higher heights, right? So, you know, I think that that sets an interesting example, you know, for those guys that are going, well, 
you know, I'm 23 years old or 24 years old and, you know, I've aged out of under 23s and, and, you know, maybe like they look at that team and go, I'm not going to get there. Maybe time's up for me. Like they're for every one of those, you know, there's a, a, you know, a Luke Armstrong who's going and playing in Germany because he's not done yet, you know, still feels he has something to give, you know, there's a, you know, I'm just trying to think of something that there's a, there's a Nate Sean Thomas, you know, um, who has played for GB a number of times, just barely missed the cut for this team. He's not done. He's going to keep playing. You know, there's a Michael Asquith, right? A, another name from GB baseball past who's still out there banging, you know, still make sure to get in touch with me every time he knows that we might be putting a roster together with love for the program in his heart, love for the game, you know, and that determination to not give up. So I think the first thing is I think a lot of guys, I, I know people personally who have reached that point where they go, is this worth it? You know, can I still do it? So that would be one. The second thing would be get yourself into places where you can push yourself, where you're going to get the best and most reps, the best and most competition, and the teammates that are going to push you the hardest. You know, if you're 23, 24 years old, and you're playing somewhere that's not training during the week, that has teammates that don't take it very seriously, that doesn't have coaches who are teaching you anything or pushing you or challenging you, you need to get into a different situation. You know, don't, don't, don't miss the opportunity to go play in Germany. You know, don't miss, if you get a shot, don't miss the opportunity, reach out to the people in the Czech Republic, you know, look at junior college in the States. If you still have eligibility, like find somewhere to play the game. And if you can't find a team to be on hit more, throw more, work out more, don't stop. Great words. I think for me, it's like, it's, it's a little bit more maybe micro than macro, but for me, it's just, work work really 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 hard work as hard as you can and when you think that that's enough work do more work um and a great example of that an analogy is when Jaden rudd arrived from the states to germany to the hotel um the airline had lost his bags and his bats he was in germany for the first time on his own he's 20 years old um Jaden was a seventh round yeah, draft pick yeah. of the toronto blue jays um, he's got all of these things going on. He hasn't slept. He's lost his bags. He's with a new team, bunch of strangers. And the first few questions he asked me were, how can I get my bats? Didn't care about his possessions. How can I get my bats? Where's the nearest gym? And it, it stuck with me. This kid's probably not slept for 20 hours. He's dealing with a really difficult situation. And the most important thing to him is that he goes and gets his work in. And then to back end that, at the end of the tournament, after we beat Spain and he hits a really important home run in the ninth inning, I saw him the next morning in the hotel lobby after we've just won this incredible game and tournament's over, his season's finally over. What are you doing? I just got back from the gym. Um, it was the first thing he did when he woke up the day after he, he did what he did against Spain. And it just gives an example as to the level of work required to, to play the game at that level is you have to be doing it six times a week, 52 weeks a year. Um, and the only reason it's only six times a week is because our body needs rest. If we could do it for seven days a week, then we should. I mean, obviously that's easier for someone like Jaden who grew up in Florida, which is a baseball haven, and they play 130 games a year, and that's just not possible for our kids. And I should know I came up through that system. But we can be doing something to get better as an athlete and something to get better as a baseball player six days a week. And if we're not doing that, 
we're kidding ourselves that we're going to be good enough to help GB win important games in the future. Great way to end that one. Now I must hand it over to the listeners. And uh, we've got a couple of questions here from the British baseball community. Um, off Twitter, we've got Marjo at Marjo 0993-9384. She was kind of to write in with a question, so I'll give her the full title there. Any thoughts on how we can get baseball into the curriculum for PE teacher training in this country? Yeah. Um, so that's a tough one. Um, personally, not growing up here, I, I don't know a ton about how to impact the national curriculum um, or the national PE curriculum. Certainly something that, you know, if people have advice on, I'd be more than willing to put time into helping because we need it. Um, I can speak very briefly from my time as chairman of the London Mets Club about some of the local stuff that we did. So, you know, we did make phone calls to schools and offer up the opportunity to provide an introduction to baseball to schools. We set up a program. I say we, um, Eric Henson and Pietro Selecido and the guys that were involved in the club before me were the real drivers of this, along with members of the board. But they they reached out to local schools and what they did was they offered to come in and do some baseball training at the school and then invite all of the kids at the four schools to come to Finsbury Park on a Saturday to compete in like a cup, you know? So the four schools, the, you know, it was four, four schools in Herringay and it, it was, you know, and, and the whole idea was, it was called Mets on Deck. And so we'll teach them all, you know, baseball for a week, working with the PE program and then get the PE teachers to form a team and bring them and compete for your school for a day's tournament, make it fun and invite them out. You know, that doesn't put it on the national curriculum. It doesn't, it, I don't know that it fully does justice to that question that's being asked, but I do know that from, we have a couple of PE teachers in the program. You know, we have people that are really passionate in the program that are trying to figure out how to infiltrate their local communities. And I have to say like phone calls and offer, you know, phone calls and, and, you know, a, a, you know, just volunteer time and the willingness to do it will often open doors. Great. So, uh, JC, you got anything you want to talk about, man? I think the only, the only thing I'd say is that baseball, strictly baseball is something that's very difficult to execute in a, in a PE setting because it's a game that requires so much equipment, certain type of field, a lot of things that PE teachers don't have the means and ways to do. Um, when I was a young man, softball was a part of the curriculum and it was a good entry level sort of way to get kids throwing and catching a ball. And if they wanted to join their local baseball club, they could. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, I think there is a way to get it into schools, but I'm not sure that baseball, traditional baseball that we all know is maybe the most efficient way to do it. Yeah, it's interesting to say that because uh, Cam from uh, Manchester Baseball Club who does the Ministry of Baseball um, Twitter, he's also asked, what's the best playground format to act as a gateway to the sport of baseball? Could it be stickball, wiffle ball, or baseball fives? And how can we push these more in the UK? Now, I've been a big fan of baseball fives for a while. I think that could be a really interesting one to get, at least as a, as a feeder or a taster into, into a school environment. You know, it doesn't really require much equipment. It's hand and ball and, and off you go, I suppose. If I had to pick one, and I wouldn't want to, because I would want young people playing all three of those playground games that you just mentioned alongside some others, like pickle, you know, um, was, you know, was working on rundowns, right? But like all of those things teach important skills to kids in a simplified and very fun way, right? We grew up playing wiffle ball, you know? And, you know, I guarantee you that, you know, as a hitter, some of my ability to hit 
curveballs and off-speed pitches and 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 control the barrel the way I could came from each of my friends who had a different crazy pitch in wiffle ball, you know? So learning to stay in because Jerry Paul's sideways slider broke late. And I knew that if I waited just long enough, I could drive into the tree between the front window and which was a home run, you know, over the bush between the tree and the front window on the left side of his house was a home run. And when he dropped down to throw that slider, if I just waited, I could do it. And I guarantee you that's part of the reason why my eyes were trained to see an off-speed pitch, right? So you think about that stickball. I mean, Willie Mays played stickball, you know? Like, you know, yeah, there's that famous image of him, you know, being in New York and, you know, playing stickball, yeah. right? So like that ability to control a, a, a stick, you know, very, very thin, much thinner than a, bat, a barrel of a bat. Again, it's an important part of what you learn. And the kids who are throwing the pitches, figuring out how to get a guy out, you know, in 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 within those constraints is great. And baseball five, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let John tell you because we there's a funny story from uh, when baseball five first came to the UK and how we reacted to it as Mets until the teammate of ours changed our perspective. And John will tell this story way better than me. But I'm, I'm <laughs> again, it's a reason why I would never rule any one of these out. I think they need to be playing all of them. Yeah, I would echo that. They should be playing all of them, one of them, two of them, as much baseball-type movements as possible at an early age is so important. So I think any of them, and the fact that he's thinking about that type of thing is awesome. Um, and the baseball five thing, you know, it's funny. When it first came out, you know, I'm not going to mess around in our internal WhatsApp group for the London Mets. We were like, look at this nonsense. What is this rubbish? Baseball, you hit it with your hand and then you run around these tiny bases, this, this is dumb. Like, this isn't baseball. We, we play baseball. You know, kind of high and mighty thinking we knew everything. And then Carlos Dominguez, who, best player I've seen play in Britain, and I've been watching games in the NBL since 2000. Um, you know, dude hit 24 home runs for the Mets in three seasons and was an incredible infielder, former affiliated baseball player. He was like, oh, yeah, we played this growing up in the Dominican Republic. It's why, it's why we've all got good hands and can hit the ball. And the other 23 members of the WhatsApp group were humbled yeah. immediately because the best baseball player that we had was like, yeah, this is really helpful. We were like, ah, I wish I was as good as Carlos, maybe. So that was a big turning moment for me and I'm sure for Drew too. Like, Baseball 5 has huge intrinsic value. Hmm. Um, so but I think just for British kids, anything. Anything that involves throwing and catching a round object is going to be helpful. And hitting it. And hitting it, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Rich Evans from Bristol Baseball Club has asked, what will it take for GB to get into the top 10 of ranked nations in 10 years' time with at least three British base players on the roster? I've got a slightly different answer to this one than I've given in the past. Um because this comes up a lot and I'm and I'm and probably gonna oh, there's there's two parts of that, right? Like what does it take to be there and what does it take to be there with British players on the roster? And and actually, Matt, you mentioned the Czech team earlier. And I wanna go back to them for a minute because I was so proud of that that team. I was so yeah. happy for them. Um and actually our two teams going through represented kind of the dichotomy that is baseball in Europe or baseball in, you know, what, what the announcers kept referring to as non-baseball countries. Right. Um, we were the passport team. That's, that's, that's not my words. That's that, those, are the questions I was asked by the journalist, you know, what would you say to those that refer to you guys as a passport team? And I shared my answer to that earlier, um, you know, sit in the room with those guys 
and hear them talk about their British connection to one another and and tell me that you still feel that they're just a passport team without any real connection. Um, but then the checks go through. And of course, the, the storyline with the checks is they're all homegrown. You know, none of those guys play professionally. Those guys are all the product of their local domestic league. And I would love us to be there. And in fact, I would love us to be there with more than three British players on the roster. I'd love to, I'd love to have a team that gets through one day like the Czechs. And I think John would agree and people, others in our program and people all up and down the country would love to see it. But the Czech national team does not get to the World Baseball Classic on its own, right? So what it takes is a reinvestment into British baseball and that mission at every level. Like it's, it's, it starts with us, but it works its way down to every club, whether they are BBF affiliated or they're in the BBL or the Southwest League or any of that sort of stuff. Like, you know, the Czechs got there because they've spent 15 to 20 years building the infrastructure, the fields, the commitment to developing umpires, you know, and keeping them in the game. Um, helping them get better, the commitment to youth programs, you know, the commitment to hosting important tournaments, building the relationships with the local councils so that the communities are invested in the teams. Emotionally and financially, money is coming in to help build this field and expand it and build a youth program. Multiple clubs have indoor facilities, you know, multiple clubs have clubhouses with catering, restaurants, you know, um, equipment shops, right? So like, you know, I love the question from Richard. I think it's a really, really important one. And I think if, if, if that's a goal that we have as a community, and I can tell you right now, hand on heart, it's a goal of mine, right? But if that's a goal that we have as a community, it takes everyone reassessing what British baseball is, you know, because right now we're splintered. There are differences of opinion about the importance of, you know, a club. Like we, we have six teams in the National League right now, right? National Baseball League. Um, two of them have a youth program. When I was managing in the National League, it was a requirement that if you were in the NBL, you had a youth program. That's gone, right? So the quote-unquote top-tier league in the country has 66% of its programs are not creating new baseball players. Right. So like, what's it going to take a wholesale reassessment of what we're doing, you know, and, and actually a commitment and, 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 and dedication at every level from the smallest club in the country, all the way up to the national team. Like we can't do it ourselves, you know, and, 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 you know, all you got to do is spend some time looking, you know, have a conversation with the Czech Federation. That'd be an interesting interview for you, Matt, is get some of the guys from the Czech Federation on. And I know them. You know, we know them. Get them on to talk to you about what did it take to get a team full of Czech players to qualify. It's a beautiful story, and it's something that we should take inspiration from. Uh, I can only echo what Skip just said, pretty much. It's just, we, you know, it's going to take every single member of the community um, working as hard as they can, and it's going to take a lot of time. Um, and in terms of getting into the top 10, we have to be the best team in Europe. There's one team from Europe in the top 10. That's the Dutch. They're ranked eighth. 
they consistently send 12, 15s, 18s, 23s to World Cups and they win games there and they garner so many ranking points because of it and they win senior Euros. Um, so if we want to be in the top 10, we have to do that. Yeah. And if we want to be in the top 10, doing that with multiple five, six, seven, eight, or even three, as Richard said, players who are born and raised and domestic from this country, then it's going to take a, a cataclysmic change in the amount of work that every single one of us do, myself included, every day for the next decade. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dutch national team, they have academies. You know, they have tremendous investment into facilities. They run a top-tier league. You know, and that's not just good ball players. That's good facilities. It's good umpires. It's, you know, people being paid. I mean, you know, the Dutch national team, I heard someone told me roughly what the head coach of the Dutch national team makes. Remember, my job is volunteer. Um, it's not far off what I make in advertising, and I have a decent job, right? Wow. So, you know, again, you know, we're hopefully getting there, you know. Um, with our success comes the potential for more, you know, more financial investment from people like Sport England and UK Sport. So, you know, the money is another part of, of part of the equation. But, you know, the money comes when UK Sport sees that you're a program with the right trajectory. And I think to create the right trajectory, we've started that process, but we need to continue it. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. So it's like self-included got case again heads together and like you said we all need to pull together and see what we can do yeah yeah and the um, best yeah 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 definitely uh last question that i've got down here is from my good friends over at angels in the uk on twitter uh judge otani for mvp i'm otani all day um oh lord it's such a difficult question um, Shohei Otani is like a, a misnomer, right? Because he's doing something that's never been done before. So it's so hard to say he's not the most valuable player because he provides so much value. But Aaron Judge has had maybe a top three offensive season of all time. So I have gone back and forward on it so many times in the last couple of weeks. And when we were away in Germany, Connor Brooks was about ready to fight me, for my opinion, three to four times a day. But I am going to stick with my guns and say that Aaron Judge is the MVP this year. There you go. When it's a tie, I'm not getting involved. Out myself immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, the, the actual question that they wanted to ask, um, I just wanted to know who you're going to say anyway. Uh, if kids don't have access to facilities or a local team to train with, what simple drills would you recommend they do with a friend or a family member in a garden or on a school field? Um, play catch every day. Um, and if you don't have someone to play catch with, then look up there. There are plenty of videos that show you how to get a, a sock, put a ball inside the sock, tape it to your hand, and you can go play catch by yourself. Yeah, so Willington's famous. Yeah, sock catch. Yeah. yeah, throw every day. Um, you know, find a wall somewhere, bring a tennis ball bounce the ball off the wall and practice just catching grounders and one hoppers. Like, you, you, I mean, that's something I did all day as a kid. You know, my mom was annoyed because it's just the sound of a ball bouncing off the wall all the time. Right. But like, but, but again, there's that. Um, and then I'll add one more and then let, and then let John, cause there, I mean, there's so many, right. Like in all honesty, just, you know, Google baseball in the Dominican Republic and look at what all those kids do. You know, they're hitting bottle caps and, 
you know, whatever else. Again, it's it's something Kramer said, you know, throw and catch and hit a ground object as much as possible, as often as possible. And if you don't have someone to do it with, find a wall because a wall can throw you grounders. If you know, it's 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 that simple. But my favorite one, um, we're in Germany having dinner, and Jesse Guffey, who's our trainer, told us that minor leaguers now routinely demand playstations in the clubhouse because mlb the show and the artificial intelligence and the video rendering that it has now it, it is a good enough proxy for them to learn things like pitchers tendencies and stuff that they actually do that like so so minorly he was telling us a story about uh, about a, and i'm not going to name the name but uh, he's telling us a story about a, a, a top prospect in pro ball um, that some of the minor leaguers in the Dodgers organization were going to face. And one of them went out and hit a home run against this top pitching prospect. And Jesse was asking him how, he, you know, how was he, how are you able to hit that guy? You've never seen him before. And he said, I had 35 at bats against him on MLB, the show in the clubhouse. So I knew exactly what pitch he was going to throw in what situation. And I knew what his fastball looked like when it moved. So you know what? if you don't, have, if you don't have somebody to go out and play with, go play MLB, the show. Like, again, learn the game. It's just getting the instincts, understanding the situation, and developing the core skills. Yeah. Um, I'd echo the wall ball thing that, that Drew said. Um, Brendan Power, who is a longtime second baseman of the London Mets and who played for the Irish national team. I think he was a guest on the show, too. Yeah, has been, yeah. Um, and Brendan, Brendan is one of the most reliable infielders I've ever been around at any level, right? And Drew managed him. Drew knows if Brendan gets to it, he's catching it. Um, during lockdown, Brendan would go out to the car park next to his house and throw a ball against the wall and he'd catch it off one hop, off two hops, off three hops. He did 90 minutes of it a day, every day. Um, so if, if one of the best infielders in the country, if it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for all of us. Wall ball's huge. Um, but just, just bat and ball sports in general, right? If you can't play baseball, if, if you don't have the ability to, but you can play flipping badminton, great. Play badminton. You're improving your hand-eye. You're improving your ability to move laterally. You're improving your ability to be explosive. Um, we just we just need kids to, to be at a certain spot, at a certain age athletically. Um, skills can be taught, right? But athletic ability is something that is very, very difficult to teach after a certain age. So for me, it's just about making sure they're moving around as much. And what's funny is in the States right now, there is a lot of, you know, discourse about kids specializing in baseball too much at a young age and how important it is for them to play multiple sports so that they don't get overuse injuries. Um, and I would echo that it's important for us to just play as many sports as humanly possible. Join your football team, join your rugby club, play tennis, play badminton, play baseball, swim. Do whatever you can to make yourself a better athlete. Well, as one of my other favorite podcasts would say, that was certified audio gold. I don't know what you guys think, <laughs> but that was absolutely fantastic. Um, there's about three minutes left on this before we get kicked off my cheapo Zoom. So, gentlemen, the floor is all yours. Uh, any last words, any shout outs you want to give? I'll, I'll go first because I feel like it's only right that the skipper gets to go last. Um, I'd just like to thank anyone who was in that delegation in Germany with us, who's watching this. I reached out to some guys already, but just thank them for their efforts. Um, I know how hard I worked, and the reason I felt compelled to work that hard was because 
everybody else around me was working just as hard. So thank you to them. I hope the community enjoyed it and uh, stay locked in because March is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, shout outs wise, you know, Glenn Robertson, Lee yes. McPhail, yeah. Will Lintern, Paul Stoddart, Liam Carroll, Jonathan Crammon. Did I say Lee McPhail? Because if I did, I should say it again. Lee McPhail. Um, you know, I, I, you know, Jesse Guffey, Alan Dean, uh, Brad Marcelino, Zach Grafser, Jonathan Crammon. I've said you, you know, I've said you again. Connor Brooks. Connor Brooks, T.S. Reed. Um, you know, what a what a hell of a group of people, you know. Um, Albert Cartwright. AC, Albert Cartwright. There's just a hell of a group of people who all gave so much to make sure that those players had the opportunity they had. And you know what? Like, what was awesome was BSUK and the BBF coming together um, and, and working together to make sure that we had what we needed to succeed. Um, long may that collaboration continue. Um, and then, you know, Matt, yourself and John and, you know, and, and, and all the guys at, you know, at all the, you know, the, the podcast that picked us up, I listened to the Dodgers one. I listened to the <laughs> one I've listened to yours, you know, all of you just, you know, your support, it means the world to me. You said at the beginning, um, you, you were just talking briefly about how many fun conversations you've had. And it's been the same for me. It's been so special to talk to all the people about our community, about what this yeah. meant to them. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've definitely got to shout you guys all out too, because you guys keep the conversation going excellent well gentlemen thank you very much for your time i really can't wait for the community to hear this one um i'm sure they'll have a great kick at this and well i've been in touch with you before march next year you know i've got a stag dude to plan between now and, <laughs> and april so i don't know where it's cheaper japan or, <laughs> or miami but i think some like skegness might be on the cars or never mind all right gents i'll take up any more of your evening thank you very much appreciate you take Cheers, care man. take care Cheers,